All right, here we are. Welcome to another episode of A Grand Reflection. I think this is episode like three or four, or I'm not even sure anymore, but uh, today's going to be a little interesting. Uh, we're doing another Comet Trail episode. Uh, this time it's on superheroes. And so I'm sorry, we're not actually doing Love Next, uh, or at least we will after this. Uh, I got a little distracted. And that's okay, because I think that part of the fun of all this is allowing ourselves to be distracted and um, allowing ourselves to kind of just go where whatever thoughts lead and, and whatever's on the mind. And in this case, uh, this kind of came about because of uh, a celebrity death, and that's uh, Chadwick Boseman. Now, if you're not familiar with who he is, he's the guy that played Black Panther. And he, yeah, he passed away unexpectedly. But before he passed away, he had posted a few images on social media. And he looked a little frail. And uh, it looked like he wasn't getting sleep. And the fan base really kind of uh, sort of demonized him for this. Uh, they were kind of saying like, oh man, you're letting yourself go. You, you know, you need to be taking care of yourself. What is he doing? All this sort of stuff. And then after his death, uh, it came to light that he actually had cancer the whole time. And the reason he looked so bad is because he was fighting the cancer off. And it's really interesting because after that point, he kind of became deified. He turned into this sort of saint-like figure. And I was thinking about it to a certain degree, we do this with uh, any sort of celebrity uh, when they pass away. We, we do kind of turn them into saints, but there's something unique about this here, it seems like, uh, because he was, uh, because he portrayed a superhero. And there's something about superheroes in particular that we kind of idolize. Uh, it's almost as if we would expect that because they played a superhero, they would be better than other celebrities somehow, that, that it would have changed them. And uh, there's something about the idea of superheroes in general that we cling on to, like, especially uh, as boys. For instance, my, my friend Tyler, growing up, he was always interested in the Captain, in Captain America. And my friend Troy is interested in the Punisher, or, or, or had been growing up, and, and then me, it was always Spider-Man or Iron Man, and uh, I can't really speak as much for Tyler or Troy, uh, although they did give me some insight when I was talking to them about this, uh, but for me specifically, uh, Spider-Man and Iron Man, it was the whole idea of nerd turned cool, and, and this like using your brain and using smarts to kind of outwit and uh, overcome and uh, that just was something that really resonated with me uh, I think with Troy it was somewhere more along the lines of uh, channeling the anger with the Punisher and for Tyler it was uh, something more along the lines of like loyalty and integrity with Captain America so it's interesting we we take these heroes and we latch on these ideals to them and really really try to be them in some ways and and it's really a, a weird phenomenon because there's not really much else like that so so i was thinking about this and i was like what causes us to do this you know why superheroes and why why not something else because 
on one hand, uh, superheroes do definitely uh, portray male culture in a, in a really strong way, right? Like it's uh, uh, fighting and action and explosions and crazy visuals and nonstop, you know? But we don't do the same thing uh, with action movies as much, right? Like, uh, there's nobody. Well, I wouldn't say nobody. There's, there's obviously probably some people, but like, we don't have these huge swaths of crowds pretending like they are the characters from Fast and the Furious or something. And, and on the opposite side, you know, you take a movie that was super huge budget, super crazy action, super good visuals, something like Avatar, you know, like this fantasy world. And there's not really anybody that really cares about that movie these days. You know, it's not something that has had a lasting impact. It was cool in the moment, and then it was over with. And, uh, yeah, that's really interesting, because uh, you could argue that that's the reason that superheroes are popular, but obviously there's something more going on here, because we don't latch on to these other forms, sorts of entertainment that are similar. So I, I was kind of trying to take a look at this and see the history of, of how we ended up with superheroes. And I came across some really interesting things. One of them is that uh, there is some pretty clear through lines between uh, superhero movies and uh, westerns. So westerns you can kind of look at as like the previous generation of superhero movies. They were the uh, vigilante justice, more than human characters in impossible situations overcoming the odds uh, it, it, it's really interesting uh, when you really start to look at it. it even some of the uh, superhero movies have a Western feel to them. Uh, like, for instance, the uh, newest Wolverine movie uh, definitely feels uh, like a through line to those previous generations. Um, but I think it goes even further back than, than movies and cinema. Uh, if you look at it with the Catholic Church, you have saints. And in a certain sense, they are kind of superheroes. They're embodiments of these ideals that have more than human powers uh, that we look up to for examples. Uh, so so it's, it's kind of this idea of idols, right? Like we idolize these characters. And uh, what do idols do? You know, they're, um, they're avatars for the gods. They are images uh, that we can latch on to. And I think that that's really where it gets its start, uh, this kind of superhero fan base is way 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 back all the way back to the greeks uh with the greek gods um these gods that are um involved in the world but uh kind of bigger than it there's a lot of really cool things here where the beats kind of have been the same throughout history uh a lot of people like to quote the hero's journey uh which is by joseph campbell uh, that outlines all of these myths that we have through the ages that uh, follow the same path. And there's something about the way that we tell stories that repeats in that way. Um, so if you're not familiar with the hero's journey, uh, you'll probably be familiar with me outlining it. And you'll go, oh, yeah, I see this in like literally every superhero movie <laughs> that I've watched, which is uh, you have a character and they exist in the ordinary world. And... Then they have a call to adventure or a call to be a hero, and they refuse it. And then they come across a mentor, and through the teaching of that mentor, they cross a threshold from the sort of ordinary world into the extraordinary. And from there, uh, within this extraordinary world, there are tests and trials. Uh, there's gaining of allies, gaining of enemies. There's uh, an ever-increasing 
sense of a coming conflict and there's an approach to that that conflict that eventually culminates into a trial or an ordeal and then once the character gets through that trial they're rewarded uh traditionally this would be like uh seizing the sword if it's like really old stories but this could be anything from um you know thor getting a new weapon to uh Iron Man getting a new suit, whatever the case is. And then uh, then there's sort of this journey back into the ordinary world where they sort of fall back into place into the ordinary patterns, but somehow changed um, and changed in a way that uh, helps those around them. So it's sort of this uh, three-act structure broken down into like 12 or 15 steps or whatever many steps you want to use. There's different ways to, to look at it. But um, it's a pattern that happens over and over again and we can look at into uh like really ancient stories follow the same pattern and so uh it creates this interesting through line uh and when i was looking at it from that perspective i was thinking about uh myths themselves and what makes these myths so uh powerful and and what it is is they're a distilled wisdom because they have this gradual change uh, throughout the ages that allows them to both stay consistent and stay relevant. And at its best, that does seem to be what a superhero does is they will have this gradual change over time and it kind of gets the feeling that the character is growing, that they're, that they're changing organically uh, as a person would. And that gives a tremendous hope that uh, we can change as well. And uh, I think that this is exactly why DC doesn't work as well as Marvel. DC does, on one hand, really latch well onto the ideas of uh, ancient gods and bringing them into a modern context. I mean, if you have, uh, if you just look at it, uh, Superman is a very clear uh, corollary to Zeus, and Wonder Woman is Hera, Batman is Hades, Aquaman is Poseidon, and Flash is Hermes. So it's it's almost like they've created their own pantheon within these superheroes, and that's nice, except the, the problem is is they become so static because they're so based on uh, something that already exists. They pick up um, social contexts, or, or, or how do I put that? Uh, whatever zeitgeist is going, whatever's being talked about in the modern day, uh, these movies, uh, these heroes tend to pick them up, but it feels disjointed because it's not something that you've ever heard them talk about before, or they've ever been interested in before. And they're kind of constantly being reinvented in order to be relevant and to fit with the times. And it makes them really disjointed because, uh, they change from story to story. Just to, like think about how many different Batmans we've had lately. It's it's jarring. It's hard to hold on to, and it, it, it's hard to find grounding in. And you know, you could make an argument for. I I, I think that that these specific DC heroes are are just too strong, too powerful. But I think it does go a little deeper than that, because on one hand, if you move over to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you could look at one like Captain Marvel, and that fits really well with that idea that if you have too powerful of a superhero, you just can't relate to it. When they're that powerful, 
uh, it means that there's no the stakes aren't high anymore, you know, and you're just basically watch the, watching them wreck shop, and you know they're going to win from the beginning, and uh, it's easy. Um, but I don't think that that has to be the case because uh, the one of the few movies that DC did do right, it seems like, was Wonder Woman, and with Wonder Woman. Uh, she retained all that power. She was definitely a badass that just totally wrecked shop. But they happened to hit on something really great with the timing of it, which revolved around uh, Me Too movement. And it provided this really cool through line because Wonder Woman was awesome during that time frame because she has been objectified in the past. She is the quintessential, like, sexy superhero. And they were able to deal with that in a very realistic and impactful way because there is a consistency to her character uh, while still letting the character evolve to uh, address the current issues of the times. Now, Captain Marvel, on the other hand, really failed at that. And uh, what I mean by that is, on one sense, she was very empowered. And that's great, except... She kind of let go of her womanhood in the process. Her whole hero's journey, you get through the entire thing and you realize, holy crap, you could have easily just substituted a guy in this place and none of the story would have changed. Her her whole story, you know, is like this military service and this independence and this, uh, this grabbing hold of power and defeating the, uh, the enemy kind of stuff. It's not a new story. The only difference is you, you made it a woman instead of a man. Uh, you're not adding nuance. You're not adding uh, change. Um, it, it's it's not giving it a chance to evolve. And I think that's exactly the reason that Captain Marvel is one of the weakest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because Marvel doesn't usually go that direction. It's actually usually is the uh, social change or... The commentary is the primary driving force of the story, and it's been that way since the start. Um, the re the real difference with Marvel and the real world is is it's an exploration of what happens if you do get the power to make the change that you're hoping for. Like, uh, for instance, you have something like X Men that came out during the Civil Rights Movement, and it's it's a clear parallel to to race, right? Uh, you're mutants. You're you're not human anymore. And it, it even provides this really cool uh, foil of characters because you have, on one hand, you have Professor X that uh, very much has the same ideals as Martin Luther King Jr. And then on the other hand, you have Magneto, which is very much in line with the ideals of Malcolm X. And you see them butt heads, and you see them butt heads within uh, disagreements over how to enact... Uh, the same sort of ideals and because you get to see that played out you get to understand both sides and the you know the same sort of thing happens with uh even characters that are super powerful uh they can be done amazingly well like uh for instance uh vision and his struggle with humanity or thor and his struggle with self-acceptance there's so much in there that that can be done while still maintaining uh, these sort of godlike powers. But the, the trick isn't to limit their powers, it's to uh, put them in a proper context, in a very human context.
And moving into TV series, I think this is where the show The Boys does an amazing job. Now, if you haven't seen The Boys, uh, a word of warning, it's uh, pretty dark and uh, it's pretty uh, gory and (laughs) it's not for the faint of heart, we'll say that. But what it does really well is it shows what would happen if you had a bunch of godlike characters without introspection, if all they are doing is just constantly... Uh, kicking ass and and not growing and they provide uh it's so cool because uh the boys really provides this foil uh that dc is missing and i think they did this on purpose because uh, if you look at their the the main uh superheroes they have direct parallels to dc heroes like homelander is most definitely superman and uh, A-Train is Flash, and Queen Maeve is Wonder Woman, and The Deep is Aquaman, and Black Noir is Batman. So, like, they're definitely taking a jab uh, at DC. And in one sense, it is kind of a satire, but in another sense, it's really a, uh, look, you guys are telling these stories, but uh, if this was the real world, and you had these characters, and they were constantly just going at it, uh, without growing as human beings, um, it would be terrifying. It would be horrible. <laughs> um, it would be, um, uh, yeah, it would not be a great situation. It would not be what it's cracked up to be. And I think that that is, at its core, what DC is missing. It's missing a counter-narrative that they have to overcome. Um, in, in the DC universe, there's always the good guys and there's always the bad guys, and there's no gray area uh, and because of that, they feel less real. On one hand, it's hard to uh, connect with the heroes uh, because they're too perfect. You don't see yourself in them as much. But on the other hand, it becomes too easy to see black and white lines. Like uh, the villains in the DC universe are not complicated at all. Uh, more often than not, they, they don't feel real. They don't feel like human beings. And they feel like um, what we do when we stereotype people we disagree with. They feel like something that just needs to be destroyed or overcome. And so it all becomes uh, power grabs. And when it's power grabs, uh, you know, the, the gods always win. So, so obviously that gets into uh, why DC's characters feel so godlike because uh, it's a terrifying thought if if they're not the obvious winners uh, because then it opens up the possibility for uh, evil to exist. And this kind of power dynamics uh, of looking at things through this lens is nothing new either. Um, that kind of brings me to Nietzsche and uh, the will to power. There's kind of these through lines with uh, Darwin and survival of the fittest, but it's the idea that man's main driving force is to power, is to uh, how to get control. Uh, incidentally, uh, Nietzsche also has this uh, this thought of the next evolution of the human race called uh, the Uberman or, or the Superman. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, so you kind of you get these notions of uh, where we're going to go next and how we get there. And, and from one perspective is power. But another perspective uh, that's kind of a foil to this will to power is Viktor Frankl's uh, The Will to Meaning, which says that 
rather than power grabs being our motivating factor, our prime core motivating factor as human beings, our core factor is uh, to want to feel connected to something bigger than ourselves, uh, to have meaning in our lives and purpose. And uh, this idea of connection actually does have some uh, more recent uh, evidence within evolution. Uh, it seems like the this whole idea of survival of the fittest and doggy dog world kind of thing that we've grown with for a really long time uh, is turning out to be not as true as we thought. Uh, there's some really cool research with fungi uh, where we've started to understand uh, the way that these uh, that trees are actually connected by fungi underground and it's this symbiotic relationship that there is a lot of cooperation in the, the uh, animal kingdom that we didn't even realize before that there's a lot more uh, symbiosis and synthesis uh, an even more potent example of this is something that we've recently discovered called horizontal gene transfer which is the idea that uh, and it mostly happens in bacteria but uh, that one organism can kind of grab DNA and borrow it from another one and incorporate it into its own DNA that then is uh, passed down through successive generations after, after that. And the interesting thing is, uh, the more we look into it, the more we see that this has happened all over the place throughout evolutionary history. We're products of it. We, our own genes, have little bits and snippets of other animals in it. And so there's this interesting uh, recognition that we're starting to see that there is uh, more cooperation than we thought. And so with this idea of will to meaning is the idea of synthesis and the idea of the uh, emergence of a third, uh, which is to say that when you get beyond uh, two extremes, uh, whether, you know, like there's one or the other, um, and you can instead bring those together, uh, a new thing emerges that is wholly different from the first two. Uh, it's a way forward. It's a, it's a way of a next step. And uh, we see this in, uh, again, in the animal kingdom with something like uh, lichen. Uh, so what lichen is, is it's a symbiotic relationship between algae and fungus. But the thing is, is uh, lichen acts very different than either of those. Uh, and it's, it's a new thing that emerges because of the cooperation. And this leads me to Captain America Civil War, which on one hand is a very direct correlation between uh, Democrats and Republicans. I, I mean, it's no accident that this movie came out in 2016. It's something that we were already looking at, uh, is, is this uh, unprecedented divide within our nation. And you can even look at the individual characters and see some corollaries. Like uh, Iron Man is definitely more on the Democrat side, right? He's uh, interested in progress. He's interested in technology and in advancement and um, government oversight. And then on the other side, you have Captain America, who's a lot more interested in loyalty and tradition and uh, individuality and is uh, distrustful of systems and organizations and more trustful, more trusting in the individual. So there's, there's definitely some relevance there, but the, the most interesting part is that it's still consistent. So it's not like injecting this randomness. You know, there's, 
the DC universe tends to change its characters in order to fit whatever context is showing up. So, you know, like in Batman versus Superman, you get kind of this feeling that the characters were modified on the spot just so that they could stage the fight and make it interesting. But on the other hand, you have uh, Captain America and Iron Man, and you've been through them as consistent characters from the very beginning. And so you can see with Iron Man, when the first movie happened, he was very individualistic and very hot-headed and didn't work well with people. And then through the successive movies, had to deal with the repercussions of that and grew as a person to realize that he needs others and realizes that oversight is a good thing. And then you have Captain America, and he starts out, and he is the loyal soldier, and he's obeying, and he has total trust in these systems. Uh, And then uh, Hydra and the influence with that, right? And so he realizes that uh, it needs to be more nuanced than that, that uh, really he can only trust himself. And this is kind of a, a general pattern when somebody changes their opinion, they might swing from one side totally to the other. Uh, but the beauty of what happens in because this dialogue is opened up with Captain America Civil War, uh, one, it feels very genuine because you understand where the characters are coming from, but two, because uh, they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, but they're still part of a team, you feel the hurt of it. And it feels very very real and very impactful um for instance for me like i told you earlier i was way into iron man and my friend tyler was way into captain america and uh, interestingly too uh, i come from a family of democrats and he comes from a family of republicans and so there was kind of this open question uh with the political climate of like how much are we going to be able to continue to relate to each other and so when civil war happens you feel this weight of it because you feel the people on the other side i know secretly that i'm rooting for iron man and i think that's best and i know that my friends might not be doing the same thing but at the same time we get this greater context we realize that a bigger threat is coming that they are gonna have to overcome it and they will overcome it and that they will uh maintain that friendship and they'll be friends in the end it's kind of a uh a means to an end in a lot of ways. Uh, Civil War feels very different than Batman versus Superman because it's not staging this big battle for entertainment. It's a painful battle uh, that you want to be over with as soon as possible. And it's that relationship, I think, that's the difference. Uh, There's a relationship that's formed between Captain America and Iron Man. And because this relationship has been formed, it hurts that there's a rift. And there's a drive to want to heal that rift. And it's that context of relationship uh, that I think is really interesting. I was talking about this with my roommate Jane, and uh, she put forth a really interesting uh, concept, a really interesting idea that a lot of our grabs for power um, happen because of our lack of relationship. I mean, she related it beyond just individuals, but uh, into our relationship with the earth. Um, because we don't have a relationship with the earth anymore, because we feel separate than it, we uh, try to have dominion over it. We try to have power over it um, rather than enter into a back and forth uh, that is sustainable for both sides. And I can't help but think back to uh, Ken Wilber in his integral theory with 
when he talks about modern man being as farthest away as they can, uh, or, or as they can be from uh, connection, uh, there's that disenchantment uh, of the modern age, and that that need to feel safe because there's that fearful other, and and that brings me to, I think one of the most interesting parts of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is Thanos. Uh, Thanos throws that disenchantment in the face of the superheroes, right? Um, The heroes up until that point have kind of become comfortable in their powers. They know how to enact their will, and they know how to win. They've learned how to win. But there's still this bigger disconnect with humanity as a whole, or with Uh, the world as a whole and this uh fear and this need to to be safe in fact i think nothing shows this more than uh tony stark's arc where uh, he's constantly trying to build more suits and better suits in order to be better protected but what we see immediately when thanos comes on the scene is all of the powers that, that that all these superheroes have grown over these last movies uh, don't even matter and i think that's no accident uh because if you look at why they named him thanos uh that comes from thanatos which is a god of death uh from the greeks and uh, not just a god of any death uh but the god of like uh wasting away the god of uh, pestilence and disease thanatos makes sort of an appearance in revelation as well as the uh, pale rider uh, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's this uh, this idea of ashes, um, this idea of fading into nothing. And obviously you can see these very direct parallels when you look at how the snap actually works. But um, it's a different kind of death than violence. And there's no really amount of strength that can stand against it. So when you hear Thanos say, I am inevitable, uh, there's an existential dread to that because all these heroes, they are powerless as they stand against that. Um, There's no way to fight against a force of nature like that. And we see some parallels with things that we're dealing with in today's day and age right now. We have COVID-19, we have global warming. Uh, these, These sort of things that you can't just defeat through power. It just doesn't work. And sort of the genius of Infinity War is how well it shows this. I mean, you have Thor, who through the last movies has grown into sort of the perfect hero. I mean, he one, he's literally a god. He has god powers, not just god-like powers. He, he has god powers. He is a god. And, uh, you know, and the gods always win if it's a power grab, right? But, um, I, I, and I mean, he even goes through the traditional hero's journey. Like, he he goes through the journey exactly how he needs to in every way. I mean, even down to getting his new weapon, his new better weapon. And there's that moment where he's uh, victorious and he throws the axe and it hits Thanos. And it's, a, it's you know, it, it's like what should be a fatal blow. And uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, it absolutely doesn't matter. It's not enough. Because within that realm of power, you, uh, you can't defeat a force like that. And it's shown even better in the second half of Infinity War, 
when they go and they find him and they kill him. And with Thor just like immediately lopping his head off and the anguish and the hurt where it doesn't change anything, uh, it doesn't fix anything, um, shows the limits of the hero's journey in that sense. Uh, it's, it's a failure of this externalized uh, way of doing things, this way of might makes right and this way of if only you try hard enough, pull yourself up by the bootstraps enough, have enough grit, whatever. Um, it shows that that has its own limits, that, that sometimes it doesn't matter, that that still isn't enough. And when I think about that, I, I start to think about uh, these sort of two forces that we have within our lives. Uh, there's the force of the spirit, uh, which is more kind of that will and that uh, willingness to enact power and uh, influence in the world. And then the other side of that is soul which is uh, more the emotions and the depths. And so uh, it's really uh, an, an interesting thing when you really look at the, the etymology of it. Uh, spirit uh, can also kind of, in a lot of different languages, mean breath. And uh, where we find ourselves right now is in an interesting state where uh, you can kind of look at the uh, theme of the year being, I can't breathe, right? Like uh, there's a virus that's affecting our lungs um, and we're stuck with all these masks. Uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, there was the I can't breathe with George Floyd. Uh, the wildfires, all of a sudden the air is bad. You know, um, it's interesting because in, in a lot of ways, it feels kind of like a, a stifling of the spirit. Like this... Uh, being confronted uh, with a sort of metaphorical Thanos, like a, um, a limit of the, uh, the spirit, a limit of, uh, or another way you could look at it, a limit of the left brain, a limit of the logos, a limit of uh, the force of will. But when you look at the other side of that, uh, you can look at uh, the soul, which is the depths and the emotions and the connecting to the deeper meaning and purpose. Um, another way to look at the soul would be uh, the right brain and uh, mythos rather than logos, so mythical thinking. And uh, this is where the will to meaning uh, is found at its fullest. Uh, it is within these right brain structures. And so when I look at the story itself, with Thanos, at first it does seem like a... Uh, a loss or a failure of the hero's journey. And, and I think in some sense it is, but in another sense, it's also a continuation of the journey. It's a going even deeper and recognizing that it takes more than just the spirit, uh, that it has to be a soul journey in order to move forward. And I think that that is something that we can look at as a way to move forward ourselves. So if you look at the heroes after the events of Infinity War, when they're in the endgame, they each grow in this time of loss. They, they, um, there is a period where they're not doing anything anymore. They're returning to sort of the rhythms of day-to-day -day life, and they're sitting with the loss, the tremendous loss that they have encountered, and they're feeling it, and they're holding on to it. They're not ignoring it. There's nothing more for them to do except sit with it, and um, that's kind of where we find ourselves right now too, right? Like, There's not much more to be done. 
but we feel the things that we've lost and we're kind of forced into this situation where uh, we just have to come to terms with it. We have to feel all those emotions and, and those hurts and those pains. And it's interesting because as that's happening or, or kind of after that's happening in uh, Infinity War, it's then when the uh, solution comes forth, right? There's this uh, recognition that, uh, oh, hey, we can travel back in time and uh, fix this. And in one sense, it is kind of a overdone trope, right? It's uh, And it's a nostalgia grab uh, because we're all so obsessed with nostalgia. But on the other hand, each of the characters gets to see themselves and where they started. And because of that, they sort of get to see the journey that they've been on. It's... Uh, it's self-reflection. They, they get to have this moment where they understand uh, because of where they've been and what they've grown through, maybe uh, where they're going and what to do next. It's seeing themselves uh, in a greater context rather than the moment and confronting their flaws and realizing and accepting them. And then ultimately they defeat Thanos, not through the raw power that they contain, but through the recognition of their own limits and the recognition of the sacrifices that are going to be needed, as well as a tremendous grounding in relationship and understanding of each other. And so I think that there's a temptation here with superheroes to sort of always up the stakes, make it a more complicated plot, a bigger enemy, a more difficult thing to have to overcome. Uh, and in some ways that can be fun, but I don't think that that's where the real value is of these stories, uh, they don't need to be more complicated. They just need to be more human. And in fact, I think that they work best this way because Carl Jung has this concept of archetypes, which is uh, that we each have within us these uh, intuitive understandings of these uh, characterizations of humanity that we can access when we need to and sort of live out as uh, or use as a template. And uh, they are our most human attributes that stick with, uh, with us through the ages beyond social context or uh, beyond uh, time. There's something that we can pick up on from the most ancient of civilizations and into the modern day. And so if we look at superheroes as uh, embodiments of the ar archetypes, uh, we can see them as symbols that we can remember to hold on to in order to keep meaning. So it's not really the superpowers that keep bringing us back. Uh, it's the reminder of the best parts of our humanness. And really, this is what mythologies and religions do best um, and have always done for us. Um, and I can think of a really good example of this, which is um, Jesus. Uh, if you take a step back and you, you could kind of look at him as a superhero, right? He has powers and he uses them for good, even aggressively sometimes. Uh, it's not that he doesn't have power, but it's that it's not his power that saves us, it's his humanity. And there's this interesting part of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, Jesus says before he goes that I'm gonna be giving you my spirit and I'll be with you wherever you go. And when we look back to what it is that the spirit actually is, is it's our driving force, our, our uh, enactment in the world. And so that creates a really interesting thing, right? So like Holy Spirit, so it's the perfect spirit, the perfect action in the world and if it's perfect then you know, 
why why so many disagreements over it, right? Well, I think it's because we focus too much on the spirit part of it and not the soul part of it. If we look at what Jesus does during his life, he's praying and he's going into the wilderness. He's taking this time uh, in quiet to understand, to dive deep into the soul process, and that's what creates the Holy Spirit. And so I think it's no accident that that feels like the most alienating part of the tradition is the Holy Spirit. We understand Jesus. We understand God. The Holy Spirit feels foreign and weird. Uh, I think that's because in order to have the Holy Spirit and not just random spirits that bring you in every direction, you need the quiet and you need the space to seek understanding, to seek wisdom, and to sit with yourself. And on that note... I have a little bit of word of warning from my friend Troy. Uh, It's a mindless escape akin to Transformers for most, a nostalgia trip for many, and a relatable experience for fewer than we think. Underneath, though, is a subconscious desire for deliverance in times of strife. People often mistake themselves as heroes in their story, blind to the reality that they are more likely the villain in someone else's. I think before redemption can really be an option, it requires the humility and ability to eat crow. Americans on both sides of the ideological spectrum have proven to be less than adept at that lately. So that's pretty cynical. (laughs) Um, But I think it's a good thing to keep in mind. These characters have tremendous power for us to use as avatars for good. But without that reflection we lose sight of the true spirit of them. Uh, We misunderstand the nature of them and the nature of ourselves. At its best, though, we can turn these things into introspective experiences and evolve alongside the characters or even uh, go for different characters as we learn new things and resonate with uh, with different archetypes. And the interesting thing is that growth and development is different for each of us. So like, for instance, Troy, he started out being interested in the Punisher as a kid. And as he got older, he started to get more interested in Daredevil. And for him, that makes a lot of sense because he is someone who has been very acquainted with his rage. And the evolution of that process caused a shift uh, in character ideals. And Tyler, on the other hand, he used to be very interested in Captain America and eventually came to resonate more with Deadpool. And that really shows his uh, recognition of the gray line, the gray area between uh, good and evil and right and wrong and how you can not take the ideals quite so seriously, but still do good in the world. And then for me... The change came from Iron Man and into Thor. And that's because of my growth with... And that goes with my growth from this constant intellectual drive and desire to become more and in towards a more healthy look at self-acceptance. So... By having this pantheon of superheroes, there's a lot of room to uh, sort of pick and choose for whatever um, specific state you are at in life. And I think that there's a lot of value that can be taken away from these journeys. 
And I think that there is a lot of dangers involved as well. A lot of dangers, especially for not allowing the soul journey alongside the spirit journey. And not everybody is going to be willing to take that soul journey, but I do think there are some ways that we can encourage it. Uh, on one hand, we can go the Avengers route and do the backtracking. And I think this also works really well uh, within the TV series, The Umbrella Academy, where they're kind of forced to look at their upbringing and uh, undo some of the uh, hurts and pains from the past in order to literally save the world. I think another route that you can go is satire. Uh, Deadpool does this great as far as movies. And then as far as uh, TV shows, I think The Boys is a great example of this as well. Um, it really shows that you, you, within that satire, there's a lot of room to be either serious or uh, irreverent, uh, that you can add a lot of humor or you can add a lot of grit. But there's a lot of room for providing these counter narratives in order to tear at some of the maybe uh, broken pieces of the uh, narratives that we've gotten too used to. Uh, and then finally, I think that another, a third way that, that we can focus on these uh, myth-making processes within superhero movies uh, in these soul journeys is uh, continuing the story or expanding upon it. Uh, so a great example of this in movies is Wolverine, where uh, the last installment is 20 years in the future, and he's kind of a broken man, and it's this journey to uh, resolution. Um, I think another great example of this is the Watchmen TV series that uh, is very faithful to the original comics, but then again goes forward in time and is kind of a what-if scenario of, of what uh, would happen 20 years down the line. So I, I guess what it all comes down to is there are some things uh, that we need to watch out for with these superhero movies uh, that it can turn into uh, sort of uh, machismo, uh, you know, fight them up and act power kind of thing, uh, but that there's also a lot of room for introspection and change and you know i guess the question is is like can they stand up will they stand up will they test stand the test of time i don't know uh they might go the way of westerns you know they might be a relic of the past uh we might get tired of them and move on to something else but if that's okay you know i mean that's okay if that happens because you know i trust that something better will replace them just like any good myth uh it'll keep evolving uh, and it'll keep distilling into something more and more uh, potent and available for us to uh, dive into and understand more about ourselves. But until then, uh, just keep diving deeper and uh, let me know what you come up with. So I know that there's a lot that I didn't cover in this episode. Uh, I didn't really go over anti-heroes that much. I didn't really talk too much about storytelling. Um, I did go a little bit into gender dynamics, but uh, that can definitely be a lot deeper of a dive. Uh, there's a lot of things here that I glanced over. Uh, oh, archetypes. We could go deep, deep, deep into archetypes. Um, the point is, is uh, a lot of these things I do want to devote specific episodes to later. Uh, so let me know uh, which one of these kind of topics are most important to you and I will try to make them a priority. Uh, 
and uh, I look forward to talking to you guys next time. I uh, hope you have a good one.